you for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube. I have about four different ways I could go this morning, but you can go ahead and open your Bibles back over to um, Matthew chapter 5, where we left off last week, Matthew chapter 5. We were talking about, in Matthew 5, we're talking about some of the things that Jesus declared over his people. I have a hard time doing three things at once. You're just going to have to be patient. Um, and we started here in verse 13. Everybody find it, Matthew 5, 13. He says, over his people, over those who are following him, he says, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. And then he says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. So we notice there that he made two statements beginning with you are. Let me try and get this. Hang on. We're getting there. We really are. We're making progress. It just doesn't look like it. Hey, Corey. Can you check that? Or I can... Don't even try this at home. Yay! There it is. That's all there is. Isn't it, wasn't it great that we took the time? <laughs> so, he made these two statements. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And we talked last week, went through a lot of things. I'd really encourage you to go back and pick that up. We're not going to go through all of it, but I do want to do a little bit of review. This term, it's actually the word are that's used there in the Greek. You are. It's a little word we don't think much about. But that word is used throughout Scripture to describe something God has spoken into being. And it's used to emphasize the existing state, character, or condition of a thing. All right, it is an existence term, which it is in English too. You are, something is, right? It's a state of being. But this is used, actually it's used in the uh, Septuagint and the Greek translation of the Old Testament back in Genesis about creation. It's something God didn't previously exist, but God said it and spoke it into being. He's saying to us, you are salt 
and you are light, you are not only salt, you are the salt of the earth. You are salt that is put into the earth. You are there to influence the earth. You are the light of the world. You are there. And we don't always feel like salt. We don't always feel like light. But the point is, and this is what I really want to emphasize again this morning, or maybe more deeply this morning, is that this subject of identification, this subject of God declaring who you are and who I am, who we are as believers, is a huge topic in the New Testament. And it's one of the most important uh, truths that we can grab hold of because every one of us live our lives out of how we perceive ourselves. We live our lives. If you are, are convinced, if you have become convinced that you're just an, a cosmic accident, okay? You, you're just something that crawled out of the ooze, right? You're just, you, you've just come together. There was no, there's no God, there's no creator, there's no design to anything. This all just happened by accident. If that is what you believe about yourself, you will live as if you were an accident. When you take out the idea of a creator and a designer from, from creation, I don't know what else to call it, from the universe, you take that out. If you take out the designer, you take out the whole concept of design. And design always means purpose. We don't design things just for fun. We design things with a purpose. And so what you need to be convinced of is that you were created for purpose on purpose. You were created, you could say it the other way, on purpose for a purpose. All right, And the scripture, beginning to end, makes that clear to us. If you believe you're just an animal like other animals, you're going to live like an animal. You know, this is just the way it is. But if you know that you are a creation of Almighty God, that he has a purpose for you, that he had a design for you, and a unique design. I mean, there are things we all share in common in that. But there are also things that are unique to every one of us. And then God has this plan to join us together in the earth. And so that, so that together we represent who he is. The gifts that are in you, a little different than the gifts that are in me. But when we join those together, when we get rid of this ultra-autonomy, this ultra-independence that our, our culture lives in. Everything's about me. Everything's chosen by me. Everything. My life is, belongs to me. It's decided by me. When you remove that, we begin to realize we are valuable because we are a creation of God. And that person next to you is valuable because they are a creation of God. There's a purpose on their life. And you have a part in helping them find that purpose, helping them fulfill that purpose. It's an amazing process. To me, it's an amazing thing that God has done in designing humanity. It's, it's so important that we get this. And in these verses, Jesus is coming along, and there are many, many other places. We might get to look at a couple today. Uh, there are many, many other places, but this is very clear where he says, you are salt. You are light. And there are many times, as we understand what that means, there are many times in our lives where I don't feel like light. I have to come to a place where I'm deciding, no, I am 
what God says I am. Whether I'm fully manifesting that today or not, that's a different subject, okay? But if I am going to become what God has already made me, okay? If I'm going to become what God has already made me, all right? If I'm going to become that, I'm going to have to realize that my heart needs to be engaged with what he says, who he says I am. That has to be where I start. And so when there's a conflict in me or my behavior doesn't line up, it's not that I'm worthless. It's not that God doesn't love me. It's not that, you know, he's doing something different for somebody else than for me. It just means I need to come back to this truth. I am what God has said I am. And I can do what God has said I can do. And Lord, and, and so what does that mean? That means he's on my side in this, okay? He's not waiting for me to become what he's already made me. He is engaged with producing what he has declared over my life and your life in me. He's, he's engaged with this process of changing us. We, we start out, we all come into this earth separated from God through sin. We all come in with a sin nature. We are all born that way. We've, we find Jesus and we give him our lives. We make him the Lord of our life. We declare that he's the son of God. He died for my sins. And, and Lord, I give you my life. We get born again, right? We get born again. We get filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit begins to do this process of transformation in us. That again, what it does is it brings us, it, it increasingly we become what he's already said we are. Does that make sense to you? Okay, so I want to look at a couple of scriptures about this before we move on. You know, I was thinking about this this week, and when human beings are separated from their creator, they forget who they are. They forget what they were designed to be. And that's what has just happened through humanity. I had a conversation, well, a little bit back and forth online with somebody uh, this last week. She had posted on one of the message boards, another little town around here, she had posted, she was asking, are there any uh, consistent, regular spiritual meetings that are not religious? And it just really caught my attention, uh, you know, what she was looking for there, you know, and I, and I wanted to know what she meant by that. So I very carefully said, you know, a sincere question, what does that mean to you? What does a spiritual meeting that's not religious, what does that mean to you? And she very graciously, some other people kind of sniped, but she very graciously came back and explained it. And I just said, thank you. I said, I'm not here to argue. I'm not, I just want to know. I didn't say it this way, but I want to know what's going on in your heart, you know? And the way she explained it, she wants to be a spiritual person. And that is an innate desire in human beings. We no, you can kind of pretend you don't know, but we know there's something bigger than ourselves. People may not call him Jehovah God. People may not call people may not call him him. People may not call him Jesus. But in the human heart, there is there is a an imprint of eternity. We know that we are spiritual beings. So she wanted something spiritual. Okay. And then, and then what she wanted, she said, well, I don't follow any one religion. There are lots of philosophies on earth. I want to pick 
you know, what parts, you know, beliefs or practices from various ones, and I will choose what is right and what isn't, and I'll pick these different ones. But I, and she included not just Jesus, but um, you know, she wasn't going to follow Muhammad, she wasn't going to follow Buddha, she wasn't going to follow Jesus, she wasn't going to follow any doctrine, she wasn't going to follow any. I'm trying to remember exactly how she put it, but any set beliefs. But she would pick and choose. What that means is, and I didn't say this because it would have contradicted. I told her I was going to be nice, and I was. But what that really, what that means is if we're picking and choosing beliefs, and we're, okay, I'll take that part of what Jesus said, but not the rest. I'll take this part of what Buddha said, but not the rest. Who is in charge? Who is God to that person? They are. That means you're your own God. That's true. Because you're deciding what morality looks like. You're deciding. You, and, and that is common to humanity that has been separated from their creator. And I understand that a lot of religion, Christian religion, has pushed a lot of people away from Jesus. And Jesus wouldn't have gone along with it either. But the word of God is the word of God. And we are here, we have said, Jesus is Lord, okay? That means he's Lord. That means as Americans, we're like, what's a Lord? You know, but we didn't elect him, did we? You know, but he is Lord. And so there's an aspect of yieldedness and submission to him. And that includes the very nature of who. God, who am I? Who did you create me to be? And the cool thing is, he will reveal that to you and to me and to each of us all through our life. He'll make it clearer and clearer and clearer who we are. And it comes from who he has said that we are. So let's look at a couple of verses real quick. Um, Turn over, if you have your Bibles there, I don't have any of these on the screen. Turn over to uh, 2 Timothy in uh, chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. And you might want to write these down. Take a look at them. In verse 9. And it says, I'm reading from the NIV. Verse 9, it says, It's kind of the middle of a sentence, but it says, God who has saved us and called us to a holy life. That means a life separated to him. In fact, let me read this from the Amplified. It does a real good job with this. It says, for it is he who delivered and saved us and called us with a calling in itself holy and leading to holiness. Holy there means exclusive. It means separated from one thing to another thing. The Amplified goes on to say, he called us to a life of consecration and a vocation of holiness. He did it not because of anything of merit that we have done, but because of and to further his own purpose and grace his unmerited favor, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began eternal ages ago. So the Lord has saved us. 
He has called us. That term is a combination of things. It's a combination of an invitation and a combination combined with the idea of a summons in the Greek. So it's, so it's one or the other. It's an invitation. It's also a summons. Okay. So the Lord has called us into, into a holy life, a life separated to him. And why? To further his purpose. You are called according to God's purpose. God has, a, again, you are created on purpose and created for purpose and for God's purpose. Turn over with me to uh, Jeremiah chapter 1. Or if you don't have your Bible there with you, then grab somebody else's beside you and just pull it away from them. <laughs> Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4. I'll, I'll read this from the NIV, maybe. It says, The word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before I formed you in the womb, before we even began to grow in our mother's womb, the Lord knew us. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you, this is for Jeremiah, as a prophet to the nations. And immediately Jeremiah has the same the same reaction that we always do, you know, he says, oh, Lord, you can't do that. I'm just a child. I can't speak. And God has to encourage him that, no, I'll be there with you. And you can do what I'm saying you can do. I will be there with you, working in you. Because when we start to find out what God has called us and designed us to be, who we are, who you are, all right, when we start to find that out, it's always bigger than us. Because it's from God. It's a calling from God. It's going to be bigger than us. And our first reaction is almost always, hey, I can't do that. It's like, no, you can't. But with the Holy Spirit, you can. You can embrace what he is saying. Embrace who he says you are and what he says you can do. And he will work with you to fulfill that. But this begins, we are created for his purpose. He tells us to Jeremiah, you were created. And then he names it for him, you're a prophet to the nations. Well, we're not all prophets to nations, but we are all called of God to purpose. And a part of the wonderful, that shouldn't scare us because if we know God and we know how loving he is and what a great plan he has for us, we can embrace that. We can go to that and be excited about, wow, this is going to unfold through my life. This is going to unfold. He's going to show me a piece at a time. And I really want to get to how he does that. One more, Ephesians 2.10. Many of you know this one, Ephesians 2.10. I just want you to see it this morning. Ephesians 2, verse 10. He says here, for we are God's workmanship. The, um, The Amplified here says, for we are God's own handiwork, his workmanship, recreated in Christ Jesus to do those good works which God predestined, planned ahead for us. He prepared them ahead of time. One translation here, or the idea in the Greek is, you are God's masterpiece. All right, you are God's masterpiece. So we said this last week, your creator is the only one that has the right to declare who you are. And so many of us grow up in these situations where, 
you know, people have told us that things are impossible. They've told us we're worthless. They've told us we're unwanted. They've told us we were an accident. They've what, Whatever it might be that has been fed into you growing up, and it may have you in a place where you do, you feel unworthy, you feel helpless, you feel no good. All of that Jesus came to address through his death, burial, and resurrection for you. He rose from the dead. The Bible says that we were crucified with him. That old man died and we live in him to a brand new life. And he defines that new life for us. And he says about you, you are my masterpiece. So let that word begin to work in you and let that word, that's not, you know, people say, oh, I get really arrogant. No, you won't. If you get what that's saying, you'll get really humble because none of us feel like God's masterpiece. But if we will receive that this is what he's saying and that he has a purpose for you, then at that place, he can begin to work that purpose in you and work you into that purpose. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, So let's go back to this just for a minute here. Again, Matthew chapter 5. He says, you are the salt of the earth. Don't want to lose your saltiness. You are the light of the world. Last week, we gave a lot of characteristics to what that means. I'm just going to read them off real quick. You can go back and get the podcast or whatever. We went into a lot of depth. But salt, saltiness in salt. Salt has an inherent quality that we call saltiness. It's an invisible quality in it that gives it influence. When you put it on your food, it influences the food. It adds its flavor to the food and it brings out the food's flavor. It has the ability to preserve things. It has various abilities that are just contained in salt. And what Jesus is saying is you are like that There are inherent qualities from God in you that are there to influence the world around you and will influence the environment that you are in. And when it came to light, all right, he says we understand that light gives us the ability to perceive reality. You know, if this room's totally dark, you come in here, you don't know where you are, you crash into chairs. Why? Because you can't see what's there. Light, and the scripture tells us that the entrance of God's word into our heart gives light. Light makes things visible. Light from God makes truth perceivable, perceptible, something like that. One of those words, okay? We, it's through God's word coming into our life that we can perceive reality. So it's not our reality about everything in life, about relationships, about our work life, about everything in life, those are not just defined by what we think and what we can figure out and what our neighbors said and what mama told me. They are defined, they become more and more defined by what God says about life. Life was created by God and it does work according to his principles. We find out all kinds of things. So light does that. Light reveals reality. Light is associated with hope. Okay, you come out of it, you come out, you know, at night, you're laying awake, devil's telling you a bunch of lies, you're all worried about it, but something happens when it gets light outside that even if whatever that problem is is still there, it always looks better in the morning. 
There's something about light that brings a new day, new hope, new mercies. There's something about light. And so if you are light and you go into a dark workplace, you go into a dark family setting, you go into a, a dark friendship and you, your purpose, your place is to bring light. God, and you say, well, I don't always know how to do that. No, but God does. All you have to know is you're designed to be a light. This scripture says that salt, well, let's start with light, that light says nobody lights a lamp and then covers it up. That wouldn't make any sense. Light, in order to be unusable, it has to either be extinguished or it has to be covered. If there's light in you, and if the Lord says there's light in you or you are light, then that's the way it is. If you will just let that light shine, that light will bring light into dark places. You can go and you can be with somebody who's totally discouraged and you can bring them encouragement and you, don't, you didn't know going in there what words you were supposed to say. We never do, or I never do. But you let the Lord begin to bring up in you just let out what he brings up in you and you'll be amazed it gives light. In both of these cases, salt, in order to have the influence it's designed to have, it has to be put on something. In order for light to have the influence it's supposed to have, it says, no, when you light it, you set it on a stand. You put it in a prominent place. And I'm here to say to you and just suggest to you for your thinking and consideration today God is setting you in places. There is a purpose and a reason. And I don't, I, you, those of you who know me, I don't get all weird about this. I don't think every opportunity that comes our way is from God. I think we need to be discerning about it. I don't think every opportunity to move, every opportunity to take a new job, every opportunity for whatever is God placing us there just because the opportunity opened up. Lots of opportunities open up. Lots of opportunities. They're not all from God. That's why we have the Holy Spirit on the inside so we can listen to him and we can know, should I go this way? Should I go that way? Might take longer than we like, but we can know where we should go. So I'm not saying that, but I am saying the Lord is setting you in places. And when those when you are set in those places, there is light inside of you that's appropriate for what's needed there. Okay, does that make sense? All right, let's look at uh, just a couple things here and we'll quit. Only got about 10 minutes left or so. Go over with me to Matthew chapter 16. And while you're going there, Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. We've looked at this a lot of times in this church. Uh, but we're just going to go through it today. Here's how the Lord does this in us, all right? He reveals to us who he is. Did you notice that Jesus also said he was the light of the world in another place? And then he says, you are the light of the world. He reveals who he is to us, and he reveals who we are to us. And the scripture in a, in a number of places says, as we see him, as we, his nature becomes 
more than head knowledge, but a revelation to our heart, it changes us. We become like him in that area. Here's, here's just one example of this in Matthew chapter 16. Um, many of you know these verses. I'm not there. Bad pastor. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. So Jesus starts asking these questions. Verse 13 says, When Jesus came from the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? Who do people say that the Son of Man is? All right, so he's asking this not because he's going to adjust his life to who people think he is, right? He's, he's not asking this to get information. Hey, what, what, what are they saying on social media about me today? You know, that's not what he's doing. He's, he's drawing something out of his disciples. And often when he asks us questions, that's exactly what he's doing. He's trying to draw something up in us to bring us to a realization or, or a revelation. And he says, who do people say that I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, other Elijah's, other Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And that's just the way it is today. You go out on the street, you ask, who is Jesus? You'll get about 500 answers, okay? And then he says, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter spits out, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So in asking his disciples, who do you say? What's in your heart? Why did he ask that question? And Peter comes up with this answer and Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. That was his name, Simon. For this was not revealed to you by man. Okay, so this isn't something he learned in school. It isn't something he read online. It isn't any of that. This was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you. So he turns right around and starts to tell Peter, Simon, who he is. So the question is, who am I? The right answer comes out. Right on the tail end of that, we get, and I'm going to tell you who you are. And he, and he makes this statement. We've, we've studied this many times. He says, I tell you that you are Peter. That word means stone. He called him stony, basically. Uh, and on this rock, that means cliff face. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overpower it. So just to make that clear, in case you've never heard that, there's two words used for that are both can be translated rock there. He says, I'll tell you who you are, Simon. You are Peter, and it's a Greek word that means you are a small, detached stone. Usually it was something about the size of a softball to a basketball. It was a small, you think about any cliff face around here, and you've got that immovable cliff face. When Jesus said on this rock, I will build my church, he wasn't talking about the person Peter. And some of us were taught that growing up. He wasn't talking about Peter. He was talking about the confession of Christ. He was talking about the knowledge, the revelation that Jesus is the son of God. He is the Christ, the son of the living God. And he said on that, that, that is a picture of a huge rock, an immovable, embedded cliff face. And if you think about it, this is obvious to us around here. You go up to any cliff face like that, what's at the bottom? There's a bunch of small pieces of the same material that's in that cliff face. And they're all over. You can pick one up and take it home. And that was the point. 
He said to Peter, that confession comes out of you now. You are a piece of the big rock. You are a piece of the rock. You don't just have a piece of the rock. You are a piece of the rock. You are something that I can pick up that's made of the same material I am. I can move you over here. I can use you. I can throw you through a window. I can, you know. No, Jesus would never do that. That was childhood coming back there. But get it? It's, it's the same material as Jesus. It's not Jesus, but it's the same material. And that happened when Peter, when Simon got this revelation. And so what was Jesus doing there? I mean, why did he ask that question? I believe he needed Peter to bring up, to acknowledge what God had revealed to him. When the Lord reveals something about his nature to us, reveals how much he loves you, how faithful he is to you, some purpose that he has. When he reveals, this is always a good one, when he reveals something about somebody else, I'm talking about, oh, I, you know, I don't, that, that person wounded me, that person hurt me, that, I don't want anything to do with that person. If you will go to the Lord, doesn't mean you have to start a relationship with them. But if you'll go to the Lord and say, Lord, you told me to pray for my enemies. I need to see them through your eyes. He will show you something that will change your heart. And what will happen is he will show you his love for that person. Maybe he'll show you some brokenness in that person or just that there is brokenness in that person. He will one way or another convert your heart from anger, hurt, woundedness, wherever it is, to one of compassion and love that is actually his heart coming through you. He will change us as he reveals to us who he is. And that's exactly what we see here. Peter went on to a whole different lifestyle than being a fisherman on the Sea of Galilee, right? He did that because Jesus asked this question of him and he drew up, up in Peter and out his mouth, who God was, who Jesus was, okay? That same principle, it works. Go over to where, I, where we are. Three minutes from being out of time. Go over to, to uh, sorry, 1 Corinthians. Well, I'm trying to stop going 10 minutes over every week. So I'm setting my brain at, 10 to 11. The idea that I'll actually be done at 10 to 11 is really, but if I, if I set my brain there, then maybe we'll be done before 11 for once. Okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And I know, you don't need to come up afterwards and tell me it's okay for me to go over. I know, but, but, I don't need to be that undisciplined all the time. Just nine times out of ten. Second Corinthians chapter 3, did you find it? Verse 18. I'm going to read this one from the Amplified. It says, And all of us, as with unveiled face, because we continued... Oh, I even have it on your screen for you. Because we continued to behold in the word of God, as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord... Remember that word glory means the essence of what makes God, God. That's what glory means. It, it is the very essence of his nature. It's what makes him who he is. It says, we continue to behold in the word of God as in a mirror, 
the glory of the Lord, we are being constantly being transfigured into his very own image in ever-increasing splendor and from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Wow. So that scripture tells us that as we're looking into the Word of God, and we're not just looking for head knowledge, we're not just looking for you know, classroom type knowledge. We're looking into the word to know him, to know who he is. We recognize this is his word. This is his expression to us. He has sent the Holy Spirit. He said to lead us and guide us deeper into the whole fullness of truth. So when we come to the word, we're looking into that word as if it says here, like we're looking into a mirror, which I find that really interesting because we're looking into a mirror. When we look into a mirror, we see us. And yet in the word, we're seeing him. But he says it's like a mirror where we're seeing us. Seeing me, I'm seeing him. Which one am I seeing? I'm seeing both. I'm seeing both. I'm seeing him in the word, and I am being transformed by seeing him into the word, into his very own image, in ever-increasing steps continually being transformed. That word transformed or transfigured, it's the same word that was used up there on the mountain where Jesus took on this whole new, it was still Jesus, but he started glowing with the glory of God, right? And Peter thought they should build houses and just stay right there, forget everybody else, you know? But, but that's the same word that's used here about you and I. That's powerful and that's the scripture, That's what it says. This is his process for us, is that as we go to his word, and and we go to his word in his presence. And I know we all have time constraints, and we all have this, and we all have that. You know what? You got to figure it out. Because you've got to have time in God's word and his presence to become what he has already made you to be. Okay, what he has already declared you to be, we're becoming one step at a time. The Bible calls it the renewing of the mind. He's changing what we think, what we believe, how we see life, and he's doing it by showing us who he is. And this is the amazing thing. When, he, when we see who he is, we get changed. I don't believe we can have encounters with God's presence, and that can be around his word. It can be here in worship. It can be in your own devotional time. It can be with a little group in your living room worshiping God. But we, when we have those encounters with him, we are changed. And so when I have something that I know needs to be changed, that's what I look for is, Lord, I need an encounter with you. I need to see this of you in your word. I need my heart to get right about this situation. I need wisdom about that situation. I need whatever. I've got to go to you because all that comes from you. But I expect that transformation to happen. I'm going to wrap it up with this. Karen mentioned earlier, uh, we've been talking about this. She's been on this delight yourself in the Lord thing. And uh, so we had a discussion about that the other morning because to me it really fit with this. So that's one of the aspects of our devotional life 
that needs to be there is that we are, it, it does, that term over there means taking great pleasure in someone. It's that aspect of we're getting together with God and we're looking into who he is and we're doing it. We're, we're always there to please him, but we're doing there because it's a pleasure to be with him. That needs to be our heart. And if anything else is going on, and it does from time to time, if when you come into God's presence instead you feel guilty, you can get past that. He can get you past that because he's forgiven your sin. He's, em- he's embraced you and, and taken you in as one of his children. He has, he has declared things over your life. He created you with a purpose. He's not, he's not angry with us. He wants us to move into what he has for us. So, so we can come into his presence. If there's shame that comes up, well, ask him to work that through. Don't let that keep you apart. If there's fear that comes up, if this kind of teaching, for one thing, is like, oh, that's a little bit too real, I just encourage you to get past that. Get past that. God has more for every one of us. And so when we're in that place, when we can move into that place, it doesn't happen every time we sit down, but we can just, you know, find your place. Maybe it's out, you know, watching the sunrise and you're looking at the beauty of creation and you just have that sense of, of the pleasure of knowing God and just, you know, it could be any number of things, but spend some time in that place. And he will change you in that place. He will, he will change your heart in that place. All right. I feel like I just went every direction today, but that's it. We're stopping. And it's a little before 11. Miracles continue to happen. Let's stand up and pray together this morning. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, you are just so good. And when we look into your word, Father, and we see these things, for sometimes it's just, oh, it just goes beyond our understanding, and that's okay. Father, this process that you're working in each of us, and, and Father, what you would say to each of us and what you would declare over us, Lord, we want to hear those you are statements. We want to see in the scripture. I pray, in fact, I pray, Lord, as we go forward, as we're reading the scripture, Lord, that all of those, who we are in him, who we are through him, who we are with him, all of those declarations of who we are, Lord, I pray by your spirit, those would just stand out to us. Those truths would come alive to us so that we can become what you have already created us to be and you've already declared us to be. And Father, I pray for every one of us. I pray over anyone here this morning, anyone out online, Lord, that is struggling with this identity in you, that is, that is loaded with shame or guilt. Father, we come together as their brothers and sisters and we break the power of that spirit in Jesus' name. And Lord, we pray for them to be liberated from the burden of shame. Father, for them to be able to rise up and to look their heavenly Father who loves them so much in the eye and receive what you have for them. Receive the forgiveness that Jesus already purchased and move into that new life that you have for them. 
Father, for everybody in this room and everybody out online, I pray, Father, we would be continually progressing in, in knowing our purpose in you, knowing what you created us for. We would be established in the fact that we were created on purpose and for purpose. And we thank you for that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Did you get anything out of this today? All right. We're going to be dismissed. I know we've got a lot of visitors here today. Uh, there's always a lot of goodies out there. We just invite you to stay around, get to know some people, have some snacks, and enjoy our time together as brothers and sisters. And then we're going to go out there this week and be the church of Jesus Christ. All right. So let's say it on the count of three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world and will be dismissed. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. Amen. Go on out and be the church. You're listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org.